All right, now we're going to spend some time studying the Bible. We study the Bible here every week because we believe it speaks with the authority and relevance of Jesus. So we're in the middle of a series that we call Advent. And Advent means the arrival of an important person or event. Advent, God with us, the most important person, the most important event ever is the coming of Jesus. And so we live between the Advents of Jesus, the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. We look forward to his return, but we celebrate that he first came as a baby in a manger 2,000 years ago. And so for us, there are many different ways of celebrating Advent, but for us, what we share with traditional Christianity is the slowing down to say, hey, let's spend four weeks before Christmas thinking about baby Jesus, celebrating his first coming. So that's how we do it. Different themes at different churches, different denominations will you know, split off in different ways to do this. But the basic agreement is like, hey, let's party and celebrate Jesus, right? We're all gonna do it in different ways in our homes. But what we do is we slow down, we celebrate hope, love, joy, and peace. Guess which one we're on this week. Can y'all guess? If you're here in the room, you see the lights around joy. It is joy week, y'all. So if you couldn't tell, I tried to dress it up a little bit for you. Um, I've got the bow tie on. I've got the bright colors, the orange watch. I've even got the orange ancho peppers on my socks to match. So we're just trying to, to celebrate, trying to be joyful I'm not the best at it. I'm a learner. I'm a disciple, just like you were learning to be joyful in Jesus. And so our text this week is going to be Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. So turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And what we're going to do is we're going to study how we find joy in our Savior. So the title is Joy in Our Savior. And this is a beautiful, beautiful concept because it goes two directions, We look at Jesus as our Savior, and we have joy. We choose joy. I will be joyful. I'm going to celebrate because Jesus has saved me. But also the Scripture tells us that Jesus looked at us, and for the joy of saving us, he endured the cross, despised its shame, went to the cross, took our sins upon himself, rose from the dead, because it brings Jesus joy to save you. If you don't hear anything else I heard or I said today, hear this. It brings Jesus joy to save you. He celebrates you. It's a crazy thought, but it's biblical. One of my favorite examples of of joy that's a bit countercultural, a bit bizarre, a a bit strange, is from the movie Elf. Anyone ever heard of the movie Elf? So this is a mythology. It's not really part of Christian canon. Uh, It's a myth that lives off to the side, right? But it gives us a window into what kind of insane joy can look like. One of my favorite scenes is when the grumpy manager of the store looks at him and is like, why are you smiling like that? And he's so cynical and he's so bothered. And Buddy the Elf says, I just like to smile. Smiling's my favorite. And he kind of demonstrates this this weird, uncomfortable, unhinged kind of version of joy. And why I like to hold that up as an example is because there is a strangeness to joy. There is an alienness to joy. The world we live in, joy does not make sense unless God created us and God is redeeming us. That's the only way that joy makes sense in this world. So there's something about it that's, that's shocking and surprising and, and knocks us off balance. We see that in silly stories like Buddy the Elf, but we also see it in, in the words of this book. 
A couple of years ago, we were studying together with a group of Christian artists what it means to be an artist, someone who's creative, but also someone that loves Jesus. There's a book we were reading called For the Beauty of the Church by David Taylor. And he offers this suggestion as really health for artists, but I think it's spiritual health for all of us. This is what Taylor writes. You and I are creatures of the earth made by a God who established rhythms for the preservation of life. Evening and morning, summer and winter, cross and resurrection. These are rhythms in nature and in history, rhythms both physical and spiritual, of plenty and of scarcity. In light of these rhythms, I submit that God has created us to experience the artistic rhythms of festal muchness and cleansing simplicity. Like so much in our life, our artistic health, I would argue just our general health in life, is a movement across a spectrum from the maximal to the minimal, back and forth, each playing a significant role in our maturation as disciples. So we see the minimal, we see scarcity, we see sorrow, we see lament, we see calls from Jesus to carry our cross and to follow him. We see calls from the Apostle James to turn our joy to gloom and to repent before God because of our sin. But we also see great calls to joy. We see repeated calls to joy, amazing calls to joy, where Jesus would would party and celebrate with sinners, and where he spoke in Luke 15 that there's greater joy in heaven when a sinner repents than when 99 who don't need to repent are following him. It's this, it's this crazy story of a God who rejoices in saving us. And so Taylor calls us to a balance in our life of festal muchness and cleansing simplicity. When we first uh, read this book in the, the artist's group, Kendrick, uh, our audiovisual director was with us and his wife was about to have their first baby. And we loved this term so much. We were like, Kendrick, you and Asia really need to think about naming your first child festal muchness. We just thought that would be the coolest name for the baby, they declined. And so I offer this to you, congregation. Any of you that are pregnant, I haven't gotten any takers yet, but it would be a really cool, fun name, joyful name, especially if your baby is born around Christmas, right? Festal muchness, the overflow of of God's grace. Taylor cites how at the dedication of the temple, it says that Solomon sacrificed and fed the people with so many oxen and so much cattle, so much uh, sheep. I was about to say pork, but they didn't eat pork, right? So, so many animals, right? So much barbecue. It says it was uncountable as Texans. I know because it's clean, so only half of you are Texans. But as Texans, that is something to celebrate, right? Uncountable barbecue. This is just one little window into the abundance of what God calls us to celebrate in the festivals. Well, the biggest festival has broken in at the birth of Jesus. And as I said, we live between the first coming and the second coming. So we look forward to even more, but we can look back and celebrate what he started when he was born 2,000 years ago. So let's read the story in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Luke 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. 
And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I'm gonna repeat that. That's key line, key text this morning. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away with them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph, the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. We read God's word because he speaks to us through it, but we want to pray that his spirit would help us to receive his word. So if you'll pray with me, I'll ask him to meet us here. God, we believe that this is a supernatural encounter and we need you present with us to hear and receive this good news of great joy for all people. So we thank you for it. We thank you for this message. We thank you for your words. And we pray now for more grace. We pray for joy to be applied to our own hearts, that we would hear, that we would pay attention, that we would be changed. We pray that you would shape us and conform us more to the image of your son. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we read and try to apply God's word, I think it's helpful to kind of frame things moving forward that probably depending on your cultural background or your church background, you might swing from one end to the other. I see this in churches, and of course, there's a million varieties of churches out there, but just in part of our struggle as a church to try to be everything that God has called us to be, we recognize this tension, particularly with joy, that there tends to be truth people that aren't very good at joy, and then joy people that maybe aren't as good at truth. Have you ever noticed that in the Christian life? So what happens is there are people that are just like, I'm going to be joyful no matter what, and they just start to practice joy, which at one level is right and good, but the untethering from the truth of God creates problems, right? Because then you've got the actions of joy untethered from the good news of ultimate joy in Jesus. But then the problem is we overreact and we say, well, we're going to be truth people and we're going to be serious. We're going to be really, really serious. And so we're going to have joy deep, 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 deep down in our hearts. And it's so deep, nobody can see it. And guys, that's not biblical joy. If nobody can see the joy, it's not joy. Now, caveat, Christians live in this bizarre mingling of the ages, right? We are in the end times and the end times started at the resurrection. So it's, we're living in the disintegration of the broken, sinful, hurting, painful world that breaks all of us. And it's disintegrating as heaven is coming down, right? But we're in between. It's not finished yet. We're, we're between the advents. We're between the first advent and the second advent. We're waiting for him to wipe every tear 
away from our eyes. We're waiting for him to finish everything he started. We're, we're longing and groaning, as Romans 8 says, for him to complete the salvation. But it has started. And so we are to rejoice in the, in the limited ways that we can that it has started. And so wherever you are, you may be in the depths of despair right now. You may be in the depths of brokenness. I want to call you to take next steps of joy. What's the next step of celebration that you can muster as you rejoice in what Jesus has done for you and as you hope in his return? So again, recognizing we all come in from different directions, but as followers of Jesus, we're, we're told to rejoice. We're commanded to rejoice repeatedly, and, and rejoicing is something we do on the outside. Biblically, linguistically, it means smiling, singing, dancing, celebrating. So it's got to be something we do on the outside. It can't just be something we do in our, in our brains, right? It's not just like between us and these words. It's something that comes out on the outside of us. But biblically, it's based on these words. It's based on this story of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So I have a simple outline this morning. Joy meets us where we are. Joy is strange. And joy continues in the mundane. Joy meets us where we are, joy is strange, and joy continues in the mundane. And before we move on with the outline, I want to read, as I've been doing every week, a quote from the book Gentle and Lowly. We're giving these away. I encourage you to take your own copy. Uh, it's a fantastic book that just reminds us that because Jesus has come to us, we should run to him. And so in the book Gentle and Lowly, chapter 3, Ortland says this, when we hold back, lurking in the shadows, fearful and failing, We miss out, not only on our own increased comfort and joy, but on Christ's increased comfort. He lives for this. This is what he loves to do. His joy and ours rise and fall together. Jesus finds joy in saving you and me. And so then our command is to respond to that with joy in our own lives. So outline, joy meets us where we are. Joy is strange. Joy continues in the mundane. Number one, joy meets us where we are. We see this in verses eight through 10. Uh, We see its story form in the way that the first announcement is made of the birth of the king of the universe, not in the theological hall or classroom. It's not made in the fancy palace, but where is it made? It's made to shepherds working out in the field. Now, we've got some actual shepherds here, so I don't want to talk too bad about shepherds, Um, but they have a grungy job, right? They're they're literally spending the night out in the fields. That's the way they would do it in the first century. So we have to kind of deal with this balance in Scripture where the shepherd is held up as an ideal of God's tender care for us. It's held up as an ideal of someone that watches over us and leads us because we need that leadership like like a sheep. But we also want to recognize that Luke has this continual theme throughout the entire gospel of God going out to the outsiders, going out to the blue-collar workers in the field, going out to the outcasts, going out to the sinners. And so that's just a drumbeat again and again in the gospel of Luke. Every gospel has its kind of different focus. They're all true. They're all the real stories of Jesus, but they have kind of a different focus, a different emphasis. And Luke focuses on this again and again, that Jesus loves the outsiders. So we've got those three parables of the joy that God finds in finding sinners and going after them. And so this is kind of foreshadowed here in the announcement being made to the shepherds. So the first joyful announcement of Christ's birth is in the great outdoors. 
It's out in the dirt, it's out in the field, it's not in the palace or the theological classroom. And this reminds us that God's kindness meets us where we are. Another way I like to say this is that joy comes after us. So when I say that we're commanded to rejoice, I'm not saying, if you rejoice, then God will love you. I'm saying, no, God loves you. He's come after you. He's chased you down on the greatest rescue mission in the history of the universe. The best story that's ever been told. Jesus had joy in saving you. So because of that, rejoice in what he's done. That's our response. Our response is to the joy that he's given us. Verse eight says, in the same region where Jesus was born, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. We have a pattern here that occurs again and again in scripture. Number one, when any heavenly being appears to a human, the human is afraid, right? Because of the sinfulness of the human and the proximity of the heavenly being to God's holiness. So we see this pattern played out in uh, the appearances in Isaiah chapter six, where we've got these angels, but we've also got God himself and Isaiah, the great prophet, the great leader is like, I'm undone. I can't do this. And so we see this again and again. I like to talk about how angels are often like appearing as normal people. That's, that happens in scripture. But most of the time when we get details, they're, they're terrifying monsters. And so people are, they're always afraid of angels because they represent God's otherness, his holiness, his justice, and they make us feel our own unworthiness. And it's just one more reminder that that we can't work our way to God, but he worked his way to us. As we just see this pattern again and again, the Old Testament, the New Testament, God's coming to us. We're We're not really going to him. So don't misunderstand, don't misapprehend the spiritual life as one where which by doing better and better, you can climb the ladder and get yourself to God. No, he came down the ladder to you and to me. Jesus took our sin upon his shoulders. He died in our place. And he rose from the dead, proving that it worked, that he really did save us. So the glory of the Lord shines around these angels and the shepherds are filled with fear. And what does the angel say? Fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So if you feel this fear in the presence of God, if a message comes to you from heaven and it scares you, that is right and appropriate. You're living out the same pattern that all human beings live out. When God appears, when his messengers appear, when his words appear, we want to shrink back. And this applies even as you go into the new year and you start reading your Bible. I want you to recognize that there'll be times you read your Bible and you're, you're horrified, you're shocked, you're repulsed, you're terrified. But don't miss the ultimate message, which is good news of great joy. A savior is born to you. Jesus has come to save you. Fear not. So on the one hand, I'm saying, yeah, fear. You should fear. We're sinners. We deserve judgment. But the good news is, but God took care of the judgment. Jesus took the judgment for you. The angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. How do we often translate that word good news? Gospel. It's the proclamation that Jesus came for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He was everything you and I should have been. He loved people perfectly. 
He always said the right thing. He stood up for people when they needed to be stood up for. He got angry in the right ways, not the wrong ways like we often do or always do. He was the person we should have been. And by faith, if you just, if you just accept this good news, that perfect righteousness is yours. That good news belongs to you as well. Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. All people reemphasizes my, my big idea. Joy meets us where we are. You don't have to become the right kind of person to win his love. He comes to you. He makes you the right kind of person. This good news is for all people. It's not for the people that are already cleaned up, but not really for the people that have problems. It's for all people. He meets us where we are. And so our response of joy is like, well, of, of course, how could I not be happy in that, right? And again, this doesn't, we're not detached beings where if we're still limping, we're still limping. If we're still crying, we're still crying. But we, we begin to look up and, and to rejoice. We begin to sing a new song. We begin to celebrate. We begin to smile. There's a, there's a crack opening up into our sorrow and our lament. The angels announce to the shepherds, and tell the shepherds, don't fear. A Savior has come for you. Because it's shepherds, I asked our shepherd friends for pictures of their lambs. A couple of times we've gone to see their lambs and uh, they've sent us pictures when the lambs do this beautiful thing in the spring where they frolic, they leap for joy, okay? Uh, and so I've got a picture here of them running over a hill and it's really fun. I've got, it's kind of hard to make out with this resolution. Um, you've got one lamb like sailing through the air. Right, And so we've got these pictures of the lambs running through and, and frolicking and leaping, and it just brings joy and it's infectious. The second picture that I've got, if you'll go to the second, second picture, we've got a big lamb on the left. Can you see that? That's the bigger, that's the sheep. That's like an old mama sheep jumping. And when they sent us this one, you could hear uh, our friends laughing in the background because what happened was the little lambs are leaping and jumping for joy because they don't know any better, Right. They're just dumb little baby lambs. And usually the mature sheep, they're too cynical and well-versed in life. They don't leap. They don't have that same kind of joy. And they were laughing because they're like, the, the joy is infectious, right? Like it, it took hold of this old mama lamb. They usually don't see the old mama lambs jumping for joy. And now this old mama lamb was jumping too. So it was this crazy infection. And what I want you to see is that, that joy breaks into our world right? We, we don't create joy and come into the joy world. The joy world comes into to our world. Here's another weird example of this. This was maybe a year ago. I don't know. We were visiting my son-in-law and my daughter in Memphis, and they're all, they're all musicians involved in a lot of stuff. And so somebody was coming over. Another musician was coming to borrow some equipment, right? Um, so we've got a guy that's a promoter and a musician, and another guy that's more of an engineer. So one guy's kind of more joyful and bubbly and outgoing, right? He's the promoter. And the other guy is, is kind of the more serious, tinkers with the music and perfects it, you know, quiet, introverted guy. They come to the door to borrow some equipment, and I happen to be there. And I had just met the outgoing guy like the month before, like we'd met each other once. And he comes to the door, and he's like, hey, Dave, what's going on? It's great to see you. And he's smiling, and he's bubbly, and he runs up, and he hugs me. And I'm like, hey, good to see you. And I throw my arms around him, and we rejoice in seeing each other. It was so beautiful. And then I see my other friend who I've actually known for several years. We've known each other for a long time. We have a much deeper friendship. We've been through hard things together. And I see him and he's like, hi, Dave. I'm like, hi. <laughs> and in that moment, I realized 
man, joy really is infectious, right? And, and more and more, I wanna be the kind of person that doesn't just respond to the joyful person with joy, but actually initiates it, right? Um, and that's nothing against my other friend, right? I act like him all the time. But, but this infectious friend, this crazy friend, this, this like, you know, maybe slightly unbalanced friend that's more like Buddy the Elf, it's like, that's, that's infectious. And that's often how it works, right? When you smile, other people smile. When you're joyful, it helps other people to be joyful. And so again, we're, we're starting to see how not only does, does joy break in from heaven into our world, but then God uses us to break in into other cracks and crevices. He, he sends us as his messengers of joy. So I encourage you to take whatever next steps you need to take to show some joy to the person next to you. Again, we all have different ranges, right? Uh, I come from a tribe of people that are just not good at joy, right? So I've, I've been working at this for years, trying to get better. Might be good uh, as an effort of diversity to disciple yourself with someone else that maybe is just better at joy, right? Like my friend that's just outgoing and, and loves people well. Um, learn from others that celebrate joy well. We want to be a balanced people that are actually in real practice joyful and tethered that the joy ultimately comes from this word. It comes from this book, the message from heaven. Joy meets us where we are. Second point is joy is strange. Joy is weird. It it knocks us off balance. Uh, Even in the study of humor, which is almost an oxymoron, right? Like how do you you take the joy out of joy? You study it with a long research project. But humor is often based, as, as these scientists study it, it's often based on a surprise or a twist or a knocking off balance that takes place. And we see that in the way that this story unfolds. This story, this announcement comes into a greater, a greater context of silence and sorrow. Anybody know how long of a gap there is between the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus comes on the scene, and the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi? Anybody, anybody here will do call and response? Anybody know? I'm going to say 400 years. I think some of you said 400 years. That was really good. A lot of you responded. I only had one person respond at 9 a.m. They're the sleepier service. Y'all are the more joyful responding service. 400 years. What does this mean? Joy is strange and alien. It's not the way the world normally works, right? The, The daily world we understand is a world of brokenness and pain. The world we live in and operate in is a world where miracles are not normal. And that's the same kind of world that joy broke into in in this first beginning story where the gospel started in the first century. So let me frame it for you. 400 years of no prophet. 400 years of, well, where's God now? Our forefathers said that he did these amazing things. I've never seen it. They lived in the same kind of world we live in. We, we go back and we read this book as, as, as if it all happened in one week, right? As if like, this was a week of great miracles. Why doesn't that happen now? No, the, miracles are very rare in the scriptures. There's only three seasons of the thousands of years covered in this book where, where miracles are happening. Most of the time, the people in this book are like, God, where are you? Help me to trust that what happened before really happened and what's coming in the future is really coming. They're the same kind of people we are. And they live in a broken, painful world, and joy is a surprise. And joy is not expected. Joy is strange, and joy is alien. 
Verse 10, the angel said to them, fear not. We already read this one, but we're going to read it again. It's the center of this whole piece. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, right? Promised king is coming. King David was kind of the great mythological King Arthur of of their society. And they knew that God had promised that someday he'd have a son that would rule and reign forever. The perfect king was coming. In the city of David, a savior has come, Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What I want you all to see for just a second here is that this is strange. This is like a joke. Now, we use joke in a couple of different ways in our culture. I don't mean joke like not true. I mean joke like ha-ha. Like it's true, but it should make you laugh because it's weird. It should throw you off balance. The king of the universe, the God of history has become a baby and he's lying in a manger in a feeding trough. Y'all, this is crazy. And if you've been around Christian culture long enough to not think this is crazy and to not think this is strange, you have to take a step back and say, God, help me see this with clear, fresh eyes again. This is amazing. This is incredible. Here's the sign. What's the sign? What's the miracle we're going to see? The miracle you're going to see this time is a baby wrapped in normal little baby cloths. But he's going to be in a manger. It's going to be dirty. It's going to be with animals. It's going to be very humble. So we see the great lengths that Jesus goes to to save us, and it should just make us laugh. It should make us rejoice. It should melt our hearts. And then verse 13, in case they didn't get it, they're going to get knocked off balance a little bit more here. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace among those with whom he has found grace and favor from God. Yeah, God is glorious. God is scary. God is holy. God is other. We are separated from his perfection because none of us have been as perfect as he's made us to be. None of us have loved people the way he's made us to love. We've all turned and done our own thing. And yet he humbles himself. He leaves the glory of heaven and he comes down and he's born as a baby to give peace, to give grace, to give joy to those that trust him. It said suddenly, that means, uh, the Greek there means all of a sudden. That's what suddenly means. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying. So there was already an angel that already freaked him out. Remember, we saw that in the first point. And now what do we have here? Do you have any linguists, multitude? Anybody know what that means in the Greek? A whole lot. (laughs) Lots and lots and lots, okay? And then another word, host, a heavenly host. Anybody know what host means? Army. Yeah, it really means army. We translate it as host because we don't want to sound too warlike or whatever, but it just means like thousands and thousands and thousands and millions. It just, it's this angel army this army of terror and judgment from the holy God that's come down to say peace. We're offering terms of peace. The God of the universe is making peace with you rebels. And what's he doing? He's sacrificing himself. He's coming down to be born as a baby, to be completely helpless, to be lying in a manger. This is 
this is strange. This is insane. This is crazy, but all in a good way, right? And this is such good news that it produces real joy. There are two ways that we miss real joy. Two ways, I think, religiously speaking, that we miss real joy. One way we miss real joy is say, we're never going to find joy in Jesus, so I'm just going to find it in utter indulgence. I'm just going to take everything I can out of this creation. I'm going to say, God, I want your stuff, but I do not want you. I can't trust you, but I can feel good right now. So we go after the bottle or sexual experience or pleasure or more money. We chase after these things. We say, I'm going to run hard in indulgence. I'm going to have as much joy as I can get right here, right now. And that never lasts. And that's not true joy. It runs out. It hurts. It breaks us. It becomes a slow poison that kills us over time. But there's another way that we miss joy as well. We say, I see that, right? I, I see this person that fell off the wagon into overindulgence. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be really religious. I'm going to be really serious. And I'm going to become legalistically careful about keeping God's laws. And God better bless me for it. And we get so serious and so committed, you know, that there's no actual joy in Jesus and what he's done for us. So my question is, where are you on that map? True joy is saying, only God could do it. I can't do enough to win his love. The joy is alien and strange, and it comes from the outside. It's what God has provided for me in Jesus. But we also recognize that he's the source. And as I look to the things of this world, it should remind me of him, right? And so we can, we can celebrate the good things of this world, but not think that that's where all the joy lies, right? The joy lies in the creator who gave us those good gifts. So again, going back to this great literary work, uh, Elf, I have a picture of Buddy getting excited when his friend is coming to visit. One of my favorite scenes in all of literature, I don't know how to say this. I'm just going to exaggerate. Okay. This is what we should look like when we're worshiping, okay? <laughs> the dude's like, Santa's here. He's coming at this time. And he's like, Santa! And he's just screaming. He's going nuts. He's losing his mind. And you know, that's, that's how we should respond the God of the universe has come for you. You should be like, what? So here's what this looks like in, in worship service as we sing together. I, I just want to continue to beat this drum beat. Um, we're never going to do all the songs that you like, okay? That's just not going to happen. We're going to do some songs you like here and there, but the call here is for us to be unified together. You can sing all the songs you like in your car and in your shower, right? But we're going to come together we're going to sing songs to Jesus, and if you can sing on pitch, we want you to sing as hard as you can on pitch, right? In unison with us and celebrate Jesus together with us. But here's the thing. Some of you can't sing on pitch. You know what we want you to do? We want you to just scream at the top of your lungs because we are all together making a joyful noise, right? You get to be more like Buddy the Elf. It's just like, you're so amazed that this is happening, and we want to come and, and celebrate him together. We want to rejoice. So that's one of the definitions of rejoicing is screaming things out loud. Again, joy is not just the secret thing in your heart. It starts in your heart because there's gospel transformation of our heart, but it comes out and we smile and we hug, we encourage one another. And so I, I 
we did this Christmas creative thing. I don't know if y'all know about this. A lot of folks at the church are like making things and baking things and drawing things and writing songs. It's just a way to celebrate Advent together. It's something Chris Webster, our worship pastor, does to just disciple artists and encourage them to use their gifts for the glory of God, to rejoice in Jesus with their gifts. Uh, and so a few years ago, I did drawings. And what I did was I traced this Buddy the Elf scene and I changed the words to it. Okay, so I've got my drawing from a few years ago. Uh, it's the... the the kind of grumpy old manager says, I bring you good news of great joy for all people, the text from Luke chapter two. And then I stole from Revelation, the end of the Bible, the end of the story with Buddy losing his mind saying, now the dwelling place of God is with man and he will wipe away every tear. This announcement is that God has come for you and we can celebrate both that he came and that he's coming back to wipe every tear from your eyes. So joy comes in context of the tears. If if you have cancer, if you're going through a a breakup, if you've lost all your money, if you're sick, if you're limping, there are real tears, but the joy breaks into that and you begin to smile and you begin to celebrate. He's coming. He came and he's coming again. So joy is strange. It breaks in and it transforms us supernaturally. So one of the best application verses for joy is in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. If you'll write that down, it might be a good one for you to memorize if you struggle with practicing joy. There Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. He repeats it, right? If if something's repeated in one verse, you know it's really important. He's like, rejoice, do this, rejoice. He says, let your reasonableness be clear to everyone. Let everyone see that this is reasonable. Why? The Lord is at hand. The Lord's close. He's right by you. That's where it starts, knowing that he's close. And then he goes on and says, don't continue to be anxious. In Philippians 4, 6, it's this word. It says, don't be anxious. But in the present tense in Greek, it's, just, it's always a continuing aspect. That's just a, a reality of the grammar in Greek. So whenever you see a present tense word, it has a continuing concept there. So it's not like, if you've ever been anxious, you're in trouble. He hates you. Don't talk to him anymore. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, if you, like everyone else, is struggling with anxiety, don't continue in it, but pray. So when the anxiety comes, turn to the Lord and pray. God, the anxiety's coming. I feel it creeping in. You pray, you run to him. In Philippians 4, 6 or 7, it says, do this, run to him, pray, give your requests to him, make thanksgiving to him, talk to him. This is the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Then we'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's that strangeness. What does he say happens? Well, he says, rejoice. If you're struggling with that, it's probably an anxiety issue. It's probably struggling to know that God is close to you. So then pray, talk to him about it. And what'll happen? He will supernaturally and strangely break into your life and begin to change you. Pray. All right, the last point. Joy continues in the mundane. Uh, This is us taking the joy back with us into everyday life. Joy continues in the mundane. We see this in verses 15 through 20, the kind of wrap up of the story. Um, When the angels went away from them into heaven, so the craziest, weirdest, most supernatural thing they've ever seen just happened. And then what happens? It ends, it's over. And they're back in the quote unquote real world. And what do they say? They say, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So guys, sometimes you're reading the scriptures 
I think this is a beautiful parallel to kind of what happens in our weekly rhythm. We gather around the word together, we read the scriptures and you get, you get a vision from heaven, right? You get a word from the Lord of like, wow, Jesus really does love me. And then, and then they take it to the next step, right? And then Monday and then Tuesday and then Wednesday, you're applying these messages you got from heaven. And so this crazy thing happened where they got a vision of God. They got a message from heaven. And then they're like, well, all right, let's do the next thing he told us to do. So my big question for you is, as you hear the Lord speak to you, respond. Do you hear him? Then are you responding to what he's told you to do? Are you taking the next steps he's given you? And it can't be, okay, I gotta be perfect all the time and save the world. It can't be that, right? Like that's not applicable. It's like, just what's the next thing? What's the next thing ahead of me? Maybe I just need to trust him and take a nap this afternoon. Maybe I just realized I don't rule the world and I can rest. Maybe the next thing is to go into your office Monday morning and actually smile, right? Like, what's the next thing for you? Maybe it's picking up this book and reading it. Maybe it's memorizing some of these verses so that you can remember the joy that he has for you. What's the next thing? They say, let's go and see this thing that's been made, to, made known to us. Verse 16, they went with haste. Haste is an old-fashioned word to say they hurried, okay? And here's the concept again. God told them to do something. They did it. They hurried to it. They went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Again, remember the joke? Here's the joke. It's a baby lying in a manger. The king of the universe comes to save us and he was born in a barn. Verse 17. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I love this part. Uh, the word wonder is, again, a little weak in English. It's a little more like we're amazed at, um, or a more modern translation would be freaked out. So Mary, Joseph, whoever the others were there in that moment, Mary and Joseph had had a vision from heaven as well, right? They'd been told what's up, right? They, they'd been given some supernatural revelation, and yet they're still freaking out. So again, I just want to take you back to, these are people like us who are like, God spoke to me, right? I met Jesus on a mountaintop when I was 17. And I was so clearly amazed at Jesus giving his life for me. And then like a couple of weeks later, I was like, was that for real, right? I think we've all had that experience. We're like, I know it. I know God loves me. I know Jesus is there for me. It's so clear. I have no doubt in the world. And then everything kind of falls apart and you're like, Jesus, are you there? And so even Mary and Joseph, who like know amazing things are happening, they're like, oh, oh, this is more amazing than we thought. They are freaking out when they hear the story of the announcement and the angel army appearing to the shepherds from heaven. Verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She's treasuring them. So again, application. Are you, are you collecting God's words to you? Are you holding on to them? Are you clinging to them? Are you treasuring them? Are you saying, this is really special to me? And again, this looks, I think learning style affects this in different ways, right? So like some of you guys, you're like, oh, I treasure God's word. I study it like two hours a day. And others of you are like, oh, right? <laughs> you're like, what? But for you, it might be just memorizing a verse. It might just be holding on to that verse that so clearly communicates God's love for you. 
Like, okay, I got this verse, and I'm going to write it on my mirror, and I'm going to put it on a card, and I'm going to put it on my screensaver on my, my phone and on my computer, and I'm going to memorize it, and I'm going to say it over and over again, and I'm going to pray it back to Jesus. And so sometimes for you, it's treasuring a verse from Jesus. It might be a hymn that says some of these words that you just you begin to sing over and over again in your times of greatest joy and in your times of greatest sorrow. But we are to, we are to treasure these words. So she pondered them in her heart. Verse 20, the shepherds returned. What does that mean? They went back to their normal life. But how did they go back to their normal life? Glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So they went back into the mundane. They went back outside. They went back to sleep on the dirt again. Right? Like, so we, we think sometimes if we've gotten a vision from heaven, that means we don't have to sleep on dirt anymore, right? <laughs> I'd be like, Lord, can't I have a better mattress now? He's like, no, wait, that's, that's coming, right? Best life later, we call that heaven. He's going he's gonna to wipe away every tear from your eyes. It's coming. Trust him. How do we know we can trust him? Because of all that he started in Jesus. And so we're holding on and we're bringing that, that glorifying God and that, that praising of him back into our regular mundane life. We're coming off the mountaintop. We're going back into the valley where it's hard to see. It's foggy, doesn't feel as great and as exciting. Um, and we say, man, Jesus, Jesus is with me here too. So in that Philippians 4, it's like, man, rejoice in, the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is at hand. That's a number one reminder we need to remember that we can rejoice in him. He's with you. Um, I grabbed a picture of a guy washing dishes. So I thought, this is a good picture of this. And that cute's got a baby with him too. Extra points. Sorry, ladies, I don't think he's available. Um, washing dishes and taking care of the baby, right? There are these just things of life. I thought about having a picture of someone changing a diaper, and I thought, eh, that'd be gross. So, um, but we often talk about the valley of the diapers, right? The hard times, the just everyday life of caring for little kids, um, the difficulty of just the boring things in life, brushing our teeth, washing our dishes, sweeping the floor, right? We are to, to bring the joy of Jesus in, into the mundane of life, paperwork, email. Uh, I, I love to do, do the dishes at my house. When I started that, though, 28 years ago, I, I didn't love it, right? I think really seeing that I'm serving my family and, and bringing Jesus into that moment has begun to transform it to something I, I actually enjoy now, you know? Like whistling and singing while I do the dishes. You do that enough over 28 years, you Start to actually find some joy in it after a while. The mundane begins to be transformed instead of the other way around. So often in our cynicism, we let our cynicism and the mundane things of life color the beautiful things of life instead of receiving the joy and taking it with us back into the mundane. Uh, I've only been doing dishes for 28 years of marriage because before that, when I was living with a roommate, we just bought paper plates and threw them away. So... My wife wasn't for that, though. She wanted to have actual dishes, so um, <laughs> we wash them now. What are the ways, everyday life, that you can bring joy into those mundane things? Are there things in your life that you're like, this isn't right, I shouldn't have to do this? How could you transform that and say, you know what, this is where I am. It's what Jesus has called me to. I'm going to do it for the glory of God. I'm going to do it with joy. I'm going to whistle because Jesus is coming to wipe away every tear from my eyes. 
So again, the, the process that he gives us in Philippians is really helpful. If, if you struggle with joy, remember he's close and pray. And as you pray, and as you talk to him about it, he will spiritually transform you. I have a little excerpt from a devotional I really enjoyed from Oswald Chambers about taking that mountaintop experience down into the valley. It's from a book called My Utmost Forest Highest. Uh, There's another one that's actually a famous book called Practicing the Presence by Brother Lawrence. How many of y'all have heard of that one? That's a pretty good one as well. I found that one harder to understand. So it's like a classic, so I thought I should read it. It's a little harder to understand, but it was actually a monk trying to learn to rejoice while doing the dishes. Um, So real life stuff. But Chambers, I thought, kind of words this beautifully because he talks about the mountaintop experience. And Chambers says this, talking about Mark 9, where they, the disciples saw Jesus transformed and then kind of saw Jesus go back to like normal Jesus there. And he says, we've all experienced times of exaltation on the mountain when we've seen things from God's perspective and have wanted to stay there, but God will never allow us to stay there. The true test of our spiritual life is in exhibiting the power to descend from the mountain. So Oswald Chambers is saying, yeah, mountaintop experiences are awesome. Enjoy them, celebrate that joy, but then bring it back down into the valley with you. Take the joy where you are going. So we do this through prayer. Joy is nested in prayer. So as we continue joy in the mundane areas of life, that means we have to be praying in every area of life. And two things on this. Number one, there are all kinds of aids to help us in praying, right? Singing praise songs is a form of praying. So maybe you're a musical person, sing good Christian songs and hymns. Those are good ways to pray and and bring prayer into the constant everyday mundane things of life. I'm a book that we've really loved. is a book called Every Moment Holy. Uh, One of my assistant pastors, Jim Wilson, gave us that book years ago. And what Every Moment Holy does is it's this artist and songwriter that writes these poems, poems, but he writes them for everyday life. So it's kind of poetical and sing-songy, right? But they're they're poems for like uh, doing manual labor, a poem for drinking your morning coffee, uh, a prayer for uh, changing a diaper. He actually has two prayers for changing the diapers, right? Because that's, that's, it's hard to bring prayer and joy into those moments of life, right? And so he's got these prayers for just everyday boring things in life. That's a, it's a fun resource. Um, again, just scripture, just reading scripture, memorizing scripture is a way to pray scripture in everyday life. But I also want to hammer this real quick before we finish. You can just pray primitive baby prayers. You don't have to pray fancy prayers. One of the great misunderstandings of the spiritual life is that we have to grow up real fast and be like adults, but Jesus continually says, if you have a relationship with him, you're a child. And yes, we want to mature, and yes, we want to take on harder things, and we want to do more for the kingdom. All that is true, but you're always God's child. You can always cry out, Abba, Father, to him. You can always just say, Daddy, help me. So you don't have to have fancy prayers to bring joy into the mundane things of life. Remember that he loves me. So we'll wrap up here. We're gonna uh, share in communion. We're gonna sing a song together. And the song is actually one we learned from our, our kids' ministry, Jesus is Strong and Kind. And it's a song that reflects the call that we've been making all throughout the Advent season, which is because Jesus has come for us, we wanna run to him. And the song really beautifully words that. It keeps saying that when I'm weak, when I'm struggling, when I'm having a hard time, I can, I can come to him. And then it ends with this last verse. It's really beautiful where it keeps saying, come to Jesus, come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Then finally it says, Jesus said, if I'm lost, he will come to me. He will come to me. And he showed me 
on that cross, he will come to me. And so again, joy is this response where, where we are to respond to Jesus in joy, but we respond because of the joy he had in coming for us. Isaiah 40 says that he is a strong and mighty warrior that saves us. And Isaiah 40 also says that the way that he saves us with his strong arms is he carries us like little lambs close to his chest, and we are his reward. So I'm going to finish with the words of Dane Ortland. When we hold back lurking in the shadows, fearful and failing, we miss out not only on our own increased joy, but on Christ's increased joy. He lives for this. This is what he loves to do as joy and ours rise and fall together. In Hebrews 12, Jesus is called the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy. What joy? What joy? What was waiting for Jesus on the other side of the cross? It was the joy of seeing his people forgiven. Shouldn't we be measured and reasonable, careful not to pull too much on him? Especially if you come from a more reserved tribe of people that's less good at joy, you might think, well, I don't need to, I don't want to pull on God too much. I need to be careful. I need to be reasonable. And Ortland says this in Gentle and Lowly. Would a father with a suffocating child want his child to draw on the oxygen tank in a measured and reasonable way? No, not at all. He would say, breathe deeply, and you would find joy in saving your child. Jesus has great joy in saving us, and so we run to him with joy. Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond in communion. God, thank you that you saved us. We rejoice in you as we come to the communion table and as we sing this final song. Help us to rejoice on the outside, not just in our heads and in our hearts, but with our, but with our lips, with our bodies. Help us to respond to you in true joy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.